0: Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Got a good weekend ahead, a lot of good games to preview, a lot of rookie matchups, prospect matchups. It's kind of a dead week, though. I mean, not a ton of fun games. It's a cupcake, it's cupcake week. It's a cupcake week.
1: It's the one that everyone like, at the end of the year just hates. On. Yeah. Uh, they're like, oh. No, I was trying
0: to pump it up, actually, so I appreciate you okay. dragging us down. But um, we have a little bit. Of something better than the cupcakes. We got offensive position rankings, PFF's latest NFL draft board. We looked at the top five at each offensive position. We're going to run through all of those, talk about all these top prospects here. We're also going to go into our What's on Tap segment, a mainstay for the Thursday podcast where we talk about the top prospect matchups in college football. Not a ton to look Mm -hmm. at, but there are some games that I think you should at least turn on in between beers, in between drinking games. And then we're also going to do our draft special.
1: Get an announcer, like you hear a big play, then flip over and see what happens
0: bingo uh and then we have our draft special segment where we're going to be discussing some of the top rookie matchups a lot of good stuff let's start with these offensive position rankings though the first one we got you know we got to go quarterback here very interesting right now you know in that top five space largely because of the two attack injury walk me through number one though above average joe burrow who's an absolute rocket up draft boards and now with the Tagovailoa injury it's almost like a lock for the first quarterback off the board
1: yeah i feel like he is at this point you don't Complete over 70% of your passes every single game of the season, which he is what he's done up to this point, facing two of the top five pass defenses in college football, you know, three probably top 25 pass defenses in college football. You don't do that unless you got something, unless there's something there. It's not just the scheme. You know, the scheme's good, it's a good scheme, but it's not just the scheme, it's not just the wideouts. There's something special going on. With Joe Burrow here, I I do think he is undoubtedly the number one player off the board. Come Mm -hmm. April, whoever is picking at number one, he will be the selection.
0: And something I want to ask you, and it's something that... I've seen on Twitter and and some other people kind of reference. Even uh, I think Tom McShane, his latest uh, big board, has Chase Young above Joe Burrow. What's your opinion on that? I I, I can see you're upset. I can see (laughs) you're upset. What's your opinion on people putting Chase Young, who you've called the best non-quarterback in this
1: class? What's your opinion of? Well, so if you're assembling a big board, a draft board, Mm -hmm. it should be you're taking X guy. You're taking the top guy off Mm -hmm. the board. That should always be the case. It should be the first guy, the top guy available should be the pick if that's how you're assembling your draft board and so you're saying you're taking Chase Young over Joe Burrow uh, I mean obviously you can't assemble A draft board in a vacuum you're supposed to uh, Obviously if you have uh, You know if you have Deshaun Watson you're not gonna draft a Quarterback mm-hmm. uh, but if, you're also not gonna be drafting Number one overall if you have yes uh, but like So I do think you have to take Positional value into it if there is a generational Long snapper you're not gonna have him as the Number one player on your draft board you and have I think there to There is one in this class. I haven't <laughs> looked at fully but I do Think there's one there there's one every five years <laughs> But no you have to basically Like you have to assemble it with Value in mind with the positional value value and so quarterbacks are always going to be pushed up higher. If if you believe a guy's a franchise guy, he will should be the number one guy on your board because like there's fourteen or fifteen quarterbacks in the NFL that are more valuable than even Aaron Donald every mm-hmm. single year per our you know war number. So it's absurd to me to if you're assembling a board taking value into account uh which you have to do on a draft board, you can't just Put you know five running backs in the top ten because you think there's five good running backs like that is not how you should assemble a draft board. It should be value, should be taken into account. And so obviously quarterbacks should be at the top of that list. But I do think if again if you're not taking value into account, Chase Young's the best player. Yeah. In this draft purpose like you know versus his position as a prospect, he is the best prospect.
0: But hear me out on this. Yeah. Why are you creating a draft board with that does not reflect positional value at any point? I think I think some draft analysts are just catching mm-hmm. up to this idea that positional value has. To be taken into account, even the best running back in the class yeah. isn't a you know a top ten pick. You yes. know it rarely is unless he's just like this dynamic receiver that comes out or whatever. And I think if you're creating a draft board, whether you're a GM, scout, or, or draft analyst. You're leaving positional value out of it and saying, no, he's just the best player. It just doesn't make sense because you're going to leave good quarterbacks on the board. You're going to leave average quarterbacks on the board that have more value yeah. or potentially have more
1: value. Than and, the I, and I also think that's why, like, because that's, I feel like it's been done like that for so long is why you see quarterbacks slip down and people pass on quarterbacks because they're like, oh, you know, this, this edge rusher that we, you know, we think is a better prospect at his position than this quarterback is. Even though, you know, if you just hit on an average quarterback, you're getting so much more value. Your team is so much better. Than if that guy turns into an elite edge. I mean, treasure.
0: look at Gardner Minshew. I mean, you hit on yeah, a quarterback. exactly. You should Gardner- be
1: far more. Teams should be far more willing to take chances at quarterback than they are at this point.
0: And then when you look at this quarterback class, I guess it gets us back to these offensive position rankings. At number two, you have Tua Tagovailoa with an asterisk next to his name for obvious reasons. I mean, he has the the injury, the hip injury. That with a clean bill of health, he's the number two overall quarterback in this class and in a top ten pick. Yes. But, with, with, with the question mark there, the asterisk there, it does make things difficult. I kind of want to move past to attack of by and yeah. discuss th- this bottom three here. Justin Herbert at number three, the Oregon quarterback, Jake Fromm of Georgia, Jacob Eason of Washington. All three of these quarterbacks, Herbert, obviously the best of the three, have a ton of value, and they, they do mm-hmm. belong high in the, our draft boards, even though they aren't the top players at their position.
1: Yeah, and they've been going kind of opposite directions. So Herbert's been going up the second half of the year, down the stretch here, uh, 91.3 passing rate over his last five games. He's looked very good. I mean, been very efficient with the football, avoiding those kind of boneheaded games that we've just seen from him in the past. Big 12 championship game. That's uh, everyone circling on your calendars. Utah, Oregon. Pac-12. Jesus Christ. Yeah, (laughs) Pac-12 championship game. Uh, Circling on your calendars. That is the game you got to watch. If he shows up and does it against Utah... We could talk about him as a top five pick now. We can, we can push him up into that conversation because he's never done that against a real defense. Utah is going to have, we talked about it, the most invites to the senior bowl. They have a defense loaded with talent. Uh, the best player is not even a senior, Jalen Johnson, probably the cornerback. So there's a lot of talent on that Oregon or Utah defense. If Oregon goes there and Herbert puts up an efficient game, beats Utah, then we could talk about it. But just, you know, beating up on some of the dregs of the Pac 12 still good. Uh, but he has been trending up, has been better of late, avoiding those bad games from and Easton, though. We've talked about it a lot. We've we poured one out for both of these guys at times over the past five or six weeks. They've had some rough, rough performances. Go back to that Easton game against Utah. What he did against them, that dropped him hard down our board. He won 4 of 18 for 24 yards under pressure in that game. 4 of 18 for 24 yards, 1 point whatever, do the math, 1 point something Mm -hmm. per attempt. That's rough for him. So uh, 41.0 passing rate under pressure for the season for Eason. And while we talk about clean pocket passing, more indicative, more stable year on year, being that bad under pressure, especially in college, uh, seeing ghosts like that, only gets worse in the NFL,
0: mm-hmm. and even with that, what you said about Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason—they're both top fifty players yes. on your big
1: board. So you still should be willing to take a shot at them. Yes. Because that value, because
0: of that positional value. You do not pass on a Jake Fromm or a Jacob Eason because there's a you know there's a better tight end on the board or something yeah. like that. You need because yeah you don't, don't t- you don't pass on Lamar Jackson
1: for Hayden Hurst exactly basically. bingo. But yeah. I
0: mean Ravens <laughs> very fortunate. And then in that's that he's, he's,
1: he's he's Lamar Jackson's a great reason why you should be taking chances on mm-hmm. talented players like that because it transforms your franchise. You look like a different team when you have a competent guy there under center. You don't look like a different team when you have uh, you know, Hayden Hurst. Mm-hmm. You don't look like a different team when you have you know, a top 10 tight end in the NFL. That and doesn't and move back the needle. To,
0: it goes back to what uh, Steve said, a, a little bit of it. It's just draft good players, and there's going to be good players. You don't need to force a need at yeah. a certain position. Draft good players. And if the best player available is a quarterback... Man, the worst thing that could happen is you have two good quarterbacks that you don't have a need. But like then you have a ton of value at backup
1: quarterback. And with
0: the league, you've seen so many injuries happen, all of those things.
1: And we've seen guys. So Josh Rosen, all-time bad rookie year, still gets a second-round pick the next year. You couldn't get a second round pick for Cleon Farrell right now. No. You couldn't get a third round pick probably for Cleon Farrell right now, the way he's played. You have Deshaun Kaiser has a terrible rookie year. Second round pick. You get a starting safety for him the next year. Yeah. And Demarius Randall. You flip him for that. Those no are two other great example. I was really going to say good. no other position does that ever happen. What do you think Gardner besides goes for right now? Exactly. What, what, like, what was he a six round
0: pick? Yeah. I, I guarantee you, can you get, get a second rounder. I guarantee, it. guarantee that's,
1: it. they get so much more trade value back. So when you're in that conversation of oh. Like, oh, let this guy develop. Let Drew Locke develop. Let this other, uh, you know, young quarterback, Cor- let Dwayne Haskins develop. Yes, you can develop from the you can develop from the bench as well. Like you can develop in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing is you have two good quarterbacks. And as soon as like quarterback shows he's good at all, he immediately gets this trade value. You immediately recuse whatever draft position you use on him mm-hmm. in terms of trade value. Those are,
0: that was a really good example with Josh Rosen because he honestly couldn't have had a worse exactly. rookie season under center and yeah. still got a second-round pick. That is, that is a great example. I appreciate you bringing that up. Let's go to running back here. Yeah. Uh, a very uh, not as valuable position as quarterback, but it's next on this list. Let's start with the Clemson running back who actually surprisingly looking at some other draft boards right now. There aren't a ton of people who have him as the number one overall really? back. Some yeah. people seeing DeAndre Swift better. Some people seeing J.K. Dobbins better. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Todd McShay, and I was really, really surprised by this. Travis
1: Etienne of Clemson. Why do you like him? Why well, is so he the number we, one back? Like We love receiving ability as a running back position, and he really hasn't showed that. Mm-hmm. That's how special I think he is as a pure runner. And just as in terms of a pure get-the-ball-in-his-hand sort of weapon, uh, on 153 attempts this year, he has 70 broken tackles. That's the highest rate. We have 0.46 broken tackles per attempt. Highest mark we've ever seen by a ton. No one's ever even hit 0.4 before in our charting. Uh, he has 5.74 yards after contact per attempt on those 153 carries. He is... The most dynamic running back, the most dynamic running back, you know, since Saquon Barkley. Uh, I think he has a better pure uh, sort of running in terms of like his vision than Saquon Barkley was. This dude is, I mean, he is everything you want in terms of uh, with the ball in his hands. He is as dynamic a threat as there exists in college football right now. So at that point, uh, I think there's still a ton of value. Like I, 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 this is where I ranked him around the 30s in this class. And I think that's where I had about Saquon Barkley coming out. Because that's again not going to be super high on running backs. I don't think we are going to recoup your value. So I, I think that's uh, he is incredibly like he's just a weapon that you can find ways to get the ball to and be you know add to your offense.
0: You have some convincing to do with Todd McShay at the Senior Bowl because right now Todd McShay he releases top 32 players right now for the 2020 NFL Draft on November 20th. Number one, DeAndre Swift. Two, J.K. Dobbins. Number three jonathan taylor travis
1: etn not even in the top jk three. dobbins over travis Etienne is the craziest thing i've ever seen there you go That's at etn so he he came in true freshman clemson I've, like one of the first runs i saw from him, like who the hell is that like why isn't this guy playing more uh and he looks skinny though back then he's up to 215 two, in the 210 215 range right now doesn't look skinny anymore and he's gotten better like he's legitimately gotten better every single year if you haven't watched him yet this year he's better than he was last year like he's Legitimately, uh, you know, one of the best college running backs I've ever seen when he gets the ball in his hands.
0: Let's go to DeAndre Swift here. DeAndre Swift, the number one player on Tom McShay's board, number two here. Really, wait. So wait, that was
1: that wasn't just running back rankings. That was actually his board. Top
0: thirty-two. DeAndre Smith is that the number one player? No, number one running back. I
1: apologize. I
0: was like, (laughs) (laughs) you almost threw up all over the place here. DeAndre Swift uh, of Georgia. He comes at number two on your running back or PFF's running running back rankings here. Five foot nine. 215 pounds. This guy, great receiving back. Yes. He has got he offers so much value as a pass catcher. And when you see mm-hmm. that and where the NFL is going, he's going to be high on the boards.
1: So just to put, I guess, ETN's broken tackle number in context, like I said, he had seven broken tackles on 153 attempts. Swift, elusive back in his own right, has 34 broken tackles on 165 attempts. So more attempts under half as many broken tackles on the season. So that's how like outlier Travis ETN's numbers have been. This year. But again, that's why Swift's still the number two player on the board because he's elusive, powerful, 5'9, 215, basically ideal size. Uh, it's ideal build for running back, built low to the earth, and can still catch, has some of the best receiving skills of any back in this class. 66 catches in his career, only three drops, and he runs like legitimate routes down the football field. He's good.
0: Number three, Zach Moss of Utah. I believe he got invited to the Senior Bowl. And then number four, you have Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. But I got to sp- skip to five because I think five's kind of hot. Yeah, Dim- Dimitri Felton of UCLA, primarily a receiving back. From a usage standpoint, I'd say it's very similar to Tony Pollard in terms of mm-hmm. using in the slot, a little bit in the run- at the running back yes. position. What are you seeing in this game? Why should more people know about this guy?
1: Well, because he has the best receiving skills, I think, of any of those backs in college football right now. He can kick to the slot very easily and get open from the slot position. So that sort of versatility... I think is incredibly valuable in today's NFL. He is elusive after the catch. 14 broken tackles on 41 catches so far this season. 484 receiving yards. That leads all running backs. But again, he's kind of like hybrid, so he's not necessarily it's not necessarily a super fair comparison. But I do think uh, just that blend of receiving ability, elusiveness, is a little undersized, a little on the smaller side. But I think that's something that wins in today's NFL. It's more valuable than your AJ Dillons of the world. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's go to wide receiver. I think the, the best question to kind of preface this. Number one and two on your board for wide receiver, Jerry Judy at one, CD lamb at two. Why is Jerry Judy better than CD lamb? Oh, why, does, why, why is he ahead of CD lamb right now? I think it's a good question. People want to know, because people love
1: CD lamb, and i got to know from you. I, just, I think it's a physical trait. I think Judy's got more speed. Judy's just going to be a little that tick more athletically to me. They're very similar, though, in pretty much every other regard. I do love that lamb produces more from the outside than Judy does. Uh, at this point going has produced more from the outside. Uh but it's close. I mean they've they didn't start the season close that close in my mind. Now they're very they're pretty much neck and neck. I think they're fourth and uh, sixth on the last big board. So, I mean, that's pretty damn Mm -hmm. uh, close for two wide receivers.
0: Let's go to number 3, Colorado wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, which to tease a little bit, we will be interviewing in the near future Mm -hmm. on the podcast, which will be fun. Um, Got a nice (laughs) connection to Colorado. LaVisca Chenault, though, number 3. I think the things we say about him is we'd like to see him in one-on-one situations. We'd like to see him throw—I mean, I looked at his stats recently. He does not get a ton of targets— Ten plus yards down the field. I'm not even talking about deep targets.
1: Just, mm-hmm, just say at anything. the
0: intermediate and deep levels of the field, rarely targeted in that offense. He's built like a running back. I saw someone on Twitter comping him to Debo Samuel a bit in that he's kind of got very yeah. good after the catch, can force missed tackles. I really do like that ability from him. Give me, give me your take on LaVisca.
1: Yeah. So to me, he's uh, he's Cordell Patterson. He's on a Cordero Patterson spectrum of wide receivers to where your floor. I don't like that spectrum. Okay. <laughs> I really don't. I honestly don't. <laughs> I know, but that's his floor. His floor is a guy who. Who will be a great returner. will just if you get scheme ways to get the ball in his hands, he will be dynamic and make plays for you in that regard. So that's play for any NFL team. <laughs> but but like last in the NFL. That's your floor. His ceiling, uh I, I think is more on the Debo stamp. Like he just has better ball skills. He attacks the ball better than Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson, you know, attacking the football down the field loses was his biggest weakness. He just could not, uh, you know, track. He just, the way he attacked it was not uh, good enough to succeed in the NFL. I don't see that from LaVisca. Only two drops this year on 47 catchable. He has good ball skills. He's He had he went like eight of nine in contested situations last year. He's very good and very physical at the catch point. He's, so a, I do he's think a cinder block, too. That's the thing. Six it,
0: foot two, 220 pounds. The yeah. dude is an absolute, so, you know, meatball. And a, a good one. And <laughs> an athletic meatball. I guess that's hard to kind of visualize, but that's where I'm at with him. I I think he does a really good job of wearing contact for a wide receiver. I mean, you see a lot of receivers not able to sustain big hits and force Mm missed tackles at the catch point. He's forced missed tackles at the catch point. I think that's really impressive. Um, For number 4, you have Henry Ruggs, the Alabama speedster. And at 5, you have T. Higgins of Clemson. But I want to know, someone not in your top 5, Justin Jefferson, who sits at number seventeen overall on Todd McShay's board, I, I feel like that is absurd to me. That is, I, and I love Justin Jefferson. Yeah. I was one of the guys who brought him yeah. to you and said, "Dude, I really do think this guy has talent." Mm-hmm. But Justin Jefferson, and we talked about it on the Tuesday podcast. So much of the production is inflated of him running.
1: I was going to say, so yeah. Routes. So people are saying, "Oh, Joe Burrow, product of his wide receivers, product of this offense." I think if anyone's a product of that offense, it's just Jefferson. Yeah. He's the product of the offense, product of Joe Burrow's accuracy because he's not he's Burrow's hitting these tight windows over the middle of the football field that are getting the ball to Jefferson right in stride to get yards after the catch to where It's not necessarily Jefferson making that happen. It's Burrow and his accuracy and, you know, finding those windows over the middle of the football field that are really putting those. Now, that's not to take any shade off Jefferson. He's a great prospect. He makes our top 100. It's just in this loaded wide receiver class. Are you going to take your chances on a guy like that and Justin Jefferson, who's, we've, you know, talked about how a lot of his production just is scheme based and not necessarily beating a guy. Or are you going to take your chance on someone like T. Higgins, who's playing outside every single snap, who's, you know, top who's third highest yards per route uh run in this draft, who's seven of eleven contested situations. Like he's been uh, excellent in a lot of things you need to do in the NFL to beat coverage, mm-hmm. which one are you going to take? I mean, I'll take the guy that's being coverage at the moment.
0: Yeah, and if you want to take a guy that's you know almost explaining exclusively outside, I mean, Aesop Winston Jr. at Washington <laughs> State is
1: another name
0: Jeez. to mention. <laughs>
1: uh, we'll bring um, that up later. We, we'll bring that up. We're going to talk about Darnay Holmes, so sweet. we'll bring that one up.
0: Sounds good. Um, let's go to tight end position. I think this is a position on the podcast we haven't honestly brought up a ton hunter bryant of washington sits at number one your guy that you really did like at the start of the season falling a little bit to number two jared pinckney of vanderbilt and then three which i think is a surprise to many and i think there's a good chance that he doesn't end at three as the as the draft process moves forward but shine o'grady of arkansas first walk me through hunter bryant Might have to go to the one. xfl
1: first um so uh i don't think it's one those privacy by saying i don't think it's a good tight end class mm-hmm. uh, i don't think it's anything special uh, not like last year where you had some dudes at the top. Uh, no real complete tight ends in this class. But there's some skill sets that are worth Hunter Bryan, I, I think, as a receiver, similar to uh, Irv Smith coming out last year, in that he's not a, he's not your do-it-all tight end. He's 6'2", 240. Far more on the wide receiver spectrum than a tight end. Inline blocking is just not going to happen with a guy like that. But... I do think he creates mismatches uh, and, and he runs and moves like a wide receiver. So if you're going to be a, a little undersized, you better move like a wide receiver. And he does 641, so seven yards on the year, 41 catches and eight broken tackles. So I, I do think and that's he actually produced higher on a yards per route basis the last two years than he has this season. So he's been very productive over his career. Like I said, has the best combination of ball skills and athleticism of any tight end in this class.
0: Talk to me. Now, give me the
1: full report on Pinkney. Oh, no. Give me the full Do I have to? I, I really do want to hear <laughs> I really love his route running ability. For a bigger dude, he has some shake to him. Has adjust, as well as anyone in this class, two off-target passes. I think it's a huge part of playing tight end because it's not going to be... You have so many times at the tight end position where you're just with the quarterback's putting it away from a linebacker's leverage, and you have to move, make a play. I think that's what Pinkney does best. I think that's his sort of trump card over all the other guys in this draft class is that ability. We saw it in 2018. Have not seen it this year. But if you see it, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. You're going You can get. A, you can get it out of him again. Is yep. what I'm. Is what I'm banking on. Oh. Now he's a fifth year senior. He is older side. Uh, so maybe he's call him capped out, whatever you want to call him. But, and the, the production this year is concerning. But I'm still going to bank on the 2018 season that we saw.
0: Jared Pinkney, the number 2 overall tight end on your big board. And then you also have Bryson Hopkins of Purdue at 4. Both of those guys will be at the Reese's Senior Bowl this year. I think that's an opportunity for them yes, to prove some there's... things even more. Pinkney for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy needs to show. He, that he He can win against good competition at the Senior Bowl. But before we skip over to Bryson Hopkins of Purdue, we got to go to Cheyenne O'Grady of Arkansas. This guy, very special after the Catch. Dad's divorce is game. No, let's not bring up my dad's divorces game. again. But he broke 13 tackles yeah. on 63 catches over the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. Special after the catch. Looks like a special talent. The problem is... Off the field, multiple suspensions, team suspensions at Arkansas, and now he's left the team, deleted his Twitter account. There's yeah. a lot of things going on here that maybe Cheyenne O'Grady does not end up in the NFL. Maybe not even not in this draft. Yeah, I might maybe have to. Ever. I just might
1: have to rethink this one because mm-hmm. there's like so much smoke that, and apparently going back to even high school, there were issues with the him and his coaches really? there. So and where there's not smoke, great. Mike, there's fire. There had been fire. There's. <laughs> There's something's ablaze here with O'Grady. And, yeah, I, I, he might have to drop down a little bit more because uh, there's just something very off. It's very bad to leave a, leave a football team mm-hmm. your senior year.
0: Bryson Hopkins of Purdue, I know you have some concerns about his ball skills. 19 drops on 133 career catchable passes. That's 14.3%. That's not good. Anything over 10%, you start to kind of that's – a, that's a flag. That's a red flag. Um, and uh, But outside of the drops – there is some some things to like about this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, not good. There's like only two tight ends I think in the NFL right now with a higher drop rate this season. Like oh, that's wow. awful, and that's his career rate. That's not just like a outlier season. of a season. That's his career has been that bad. So pretty concerning there for sure for Bryson Hopkins. But he, he's the most athletic tight end in this class, probably in terms of size, speed, agility. He has. He's similar to. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs, you know, low four fives. So like he is that athletic. But what are you going to do if you like? It, he's on the Noah Fant spectrum of what are you going to do if you the guy's going to drop one or two balls like every time? You target them ten times like mm-hmm. that's just concerning. That's just not. It's going to kind of going to kill your offense. I don't know. I, I struggled to I struggle how to value guys like that because I do think drops like that and lack of ball skills can really kill quarterbacks and like hurt their statistics and sort of kill an offense quicker than guys who maybe not necessarily can't get, op- mm-hmm. get open as well, but can catch the ball.
0: Number 5 on the big board at the tight end position, Albert O. That's what they call him on campus, but I'm going to go ahead and pronounce this name here, Okuwebunam. Oku- oh. oh. I got, I looked up the pronunciation right before here, but Okuwebunam, Albert O.K. O.K. Okuwebuom, number five tight end on the board. He's a guy that
1: I'll let you take that one. Let's call him Alberto. Yeah,
0: yeah, Alberto. But initially, I remember when we were reviewing the film before this season, I kind of liked what this guy brought to the table more than Pinckney in some areas. I thought his mm. route running was interesting. I thought he he offered value for that
1: Mizzou offense. Where are you with him right now? I think he's pretty straight liney. I don't I don't love him as a his uh, agility. I don't think he's that uh, you know shake to make a guy miss sort of tight end. Uh, but I do love he's big. You know he's one of the bigger tight ends in the class. I think he goes 255, 260. Uh, has good straight line speed, good ball skills. Uh, so he's been great in the red zone. 23 touchdowns uh, over the last three seasons. Uh, so I do think he offers some value. But I, I just he doesn't have. I, I think everyone above this list has a little bit of a trump card that beats albert at this mm-hmm.
0: point yep there you go I'm sorry I was reading through the comments and some people are upset they don't have my glasses today they, oh. I, I broke them over the weekend and some guy called me a four-eyed bastard that's where we're at right now for the youtube comments but let's go ahead and move Never forward read to, the comments. let's go ahead and move forward to the uh, tackle okay. position top five tackles here first two we've been talking about for a while Andrew Thomas of Georgia and then number two Tristan worse of Iowa what's separating yeah, no. these two in your opinion ah, God, it's so tough
1: I go back and mm-hmm. forth and
0: have but it, that literally. speaks to the, yeah. the to the strength of the class. Yes. I, I like when you say, man, it's tough, because that means, you know, go back to mm-hmm. the receiver position, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, both high-end talents. Tristan Wirth, Andrew Thomas, both high-end talents. Not necessarily you can't go wrong, but
1: these guys are playing at a very high level, and both of them are in that conversation for top 10. I, I think what separated them in my mind here is just competition-faced. Mm-hmm. So Thomas has faced, you know, Julian Aguilar, Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. He faced Jonathan Greenard uh, from Florida. And Zuniga on a couple snaps in that game, so he's faced better competition than worse worse' has faced Carter Coughlin. He's faced that's about I mean, He really hasn't faced a ton of good edge rushers yeah. so far this season at Iowa. So, uh, was it Zach Bond as well? I, I guess he did face in that against Wisconsin. So, not a ton of you know talented edge rushers that he's seen. So that's the difference in my mind because both playing excellent football mm-hmm. still
0: well Tristan Wurst though I know you've thought in the past that there's a chance that maybe he gets case inside yeah, guard where possible. are you at with him right now do you still see him as a tackle first
1: yeah I think he's tackle first and then kick inside of guard if necessary
0: all right number three on the board Alex Leatherwood of Alabama at four Josh Jones of Houston who will also be at the senior bowl and then Jedrick oh, Wills junior of Alabama skip those two guys I got to go to Wills yes such an explosive dude so good in the run game you put in here 10 big time blocks this season leads all at his position and those big time blocks blocks those are those high highly graded blocks those are pancakes those are yeah. death
1: blows those basically are... yeah taking a guy three or four yards off the line of scrimmage you're you know doing a crazy reach or getting to a linebacker at the second level you had no business getting to pancakes that sort of thing mm-hmm. yes yeah, so the only guy with more than him in the country right now is penny sewell who's okay. only a sophomore yeah. so uh, that's
0: a that's a dude right and there. That come to, yeah, that's good yeah he's a, that's a dude
1: He's gonna be special next year. He's he's the Chase Young of offensive tackles that that prospect.
0: Quote him right now. Interior offensive line. Let's jump to this position here. This guy's been number one on your interior offensive line range for a while, and it's not changing regardless of injury because the guy's been not a little, playing. Little injury plague. But Natani Muti of Fresno State, a nasty Hawaiian-born monster b- built like a monster, but he's so good in the run game. Yeah. And also, what I like about him, and I feel like I always bring it up because he's nasty. That's what pops out on tape. But he's also very good in pass protection. Yes. And sometimes you see some of these nasty. Uh, uh, I want to bring up Drew Samia, the Oklahoma guard, who's kind of a nasty, a finisher. Struggles a bit in pass protection, can sometimes get a little over aggressive and lose his footing and get beat there. Natani Mucci, a different story. He can turn it on and turn it off.
1: That's the crazy thing about Mucci that I love so much is that he has these blocks where he lights guys up, but he never has the blocks where he like goes for a kill shot and then falls flat in his face. Like he is on balance, he just can. Well-timed you know, kill shots, sink his hips and explode uh, better than you know any other offensive line in the country. He's a freak of nature. This guy, John a Wick fortunate. in a sense. <laughs> if you watch the
0: John Wick shows, like he takes some crazy shots and he always hits them like square yes, between the eyes. Exactly. That's
1: Natani Muti. He he really is very just the best interior offensive lineman in, in the country. Unfortunately, only you know uh, only a handful of games this year before his season was cut short again. I believe with a shoulder injury or something this year. Had the Achilles injury last year, but on 103 hundred three hundred ninety-three pass blocking snaps. Over the past two years, three pressures allowed. Dude he's good as a run excellent as a run blocker, just as good as a pass protector.
0: All right, Tyler Biotish of Wisconsin. He's a guy that I think a lot of people are going to have number one on their interior offensive in the line rankings. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a big reason why, because no one watches the group of five, and no one's even seen it's on yeah. Muti. But Tyler Biotish is a guy who, I think going into this year, had very high grades in PFF mm-hmm. system, and he's still earning high grades now for Wisconsin. I think I look at him, and I see the grading profile, and I'm like, okay, this guy's a, a safe still good. pick. You're, yeah. you're, he's like a high-floor pick.
1: Exactly. I, I, I don't think he's super – he doesn't get you near as excited as you want to watch Muti. But smooth – Gets pops off the snap, quick off the snap, has size to play. You could probably even play guard if you wanted to play guard, and he's been a top five grade center. Freshman year, sophomore year, now junior year in college football.
0: And did he even? Did, he was a walk-on
1: or something. I, I remember writing the
0: background. Or he, there was something along the lines of like he wasn't even supposed to play center, but now he's playing. I'll have to dive into the background, yeah. but I think he has an interesting one. Yeah. Um. Let's go to Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma. He's another name I think that gets tossed around a ton at the top of um interior offensive line rankings right now. Where do you
1: see his game? Yeah, I just love that he's been so good in pass protection, even when he hit the ground running as as a redshirt freshman last year. Only five pressures this year as a redshirt sophomore, allowed all season long. And another guy who, 6'5", 3'15", is not pigeonholed into center. If you wanted this guy to play guard, he'd probably play guard. If you want to play tackle, I think he might even be able to play tackle as well. Like He's just that good. Didn't end up playing tackle at Oklahoma because they had uh, you know some, some dudes there at tackle when he, Bobby Evans, and uh, the other guy whose name's eluding right now, the Bills, right tackle at the moment. I don't know how I know that, but can't remember his name. Ford? Cody Ford. There you yeah, go. They yeah. had those two guys to tackle, so he was kicked inside the center. But he can play pretty much anywhere, which I love. Here we
0: go. I'm going back to Tyler Biotish. Um Recruited as a three-star defensive lineman as part of the 2016 class. Five offers. Illinois State, South Dakota State, Southern Illinois, Western Illinois, and Wisconsin. Decision a no-brainer. That's what I put in the notes here. Goes to Wisconsin. Do you want to
1: go to Western Illinois?
0: <laughs> goes to Wisconsin. And then oh, after taking a redshirt in 2016, Goes away from defensive line, starts all fourteen games at center. And like you said, as a freshman, high grade at center, yeah. sophomore. Like to get that production, to get that level those grades. When you didn't even play the position, Mm -hmm. no, you weren't even recruited as an offensive lineman. I think it's special. I think that speaks a lot, speaks volumes to him as a prospect. That biotish kid. Let's go to number four, number five on your list here. Calvin Throckmorton of Oregon goes at number four, but let's go right to Kentucky. Uh, Logan Sternberg, um, number Sternberg, sorry, Logan Stenberg at number five. He's a guy that I know you kind of similar to Mooty. You kind of can get excited watching this tape. Oh,
1: O line, O line coach porn. Just Mm -hmm. he was described as the SEC's most disliked player. man, I got to meet this guy. Yeah.
0: One That's pre- close. Kentucky's just a
1: uh, hop, skip it away is. here in Cincinnati. One loan pressure all season long on 261 pass blocking snaps. So uh, there was a lot to like, and he is, you watch his tape and he is jumping on dudes on piles. Oh, he's, yes. he's mean.
0: Get, so get, You're getting me going right now. Mm-hmm. I got something that a reference I want to bring up. I remember Gabe Jackson, Mississippi state now with the Oakland Raiders, yeah. Von Miller in an interview after the game. I don't know if it was a couple years ago, or whatever said he is the nastiest smelling player mm. in the NFL. But think about that as an advantage. Like if you just smell like complete ass when you're playing, it's like, that would be tough to bull rush a Gabe Jackson when he smells like death. Yeah, You know, I think that's...
1: No, not, it's no fun. I mean, I'm interested to smell like Stenberg
0: ass. if we do get the opportunity, because it could be part of it. It could really be part of it.
1: Um, <laughs> you're like 10 feet away. You're like, oh, that's Stenberg.
0: Wow, he smells terrible. Let's go to our next segment here. That was great, by the way. Offensive position rankings, good stuff. Uh, Mike Renner, make sure to check out the full article on PFF.com, and make sure to continue to follow PFF for all of our draft coverage. We're going to have defensive rankings at the, every position.
1: I think if they're listening to this, they follow our draft coverage. True. But just saying. You, just, hey, but yeah, you, know, you know what? It doesn't hurt to... Uh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe they just listen to the podcast, but hate the website.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hate the website, but yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. True, true, true. Uh, Let's go to What's On Tap, PFF segment here on the 2 for one Draft Podcast, where we look at top prospect matchups. We're going to go KJ Hamler, slot receiver for Penn State, going against Sean Wade, who's not talked about enough on that Ohio State team. A lot of people love Jeffrey Okuda, even ourselves. But Sean Wade, another special talent, I think, going against KJ Hamler. This will be interesting.
1: Yeah, Sean Wade's in our top 100. We're probably not as high on him as some other people. It's kind of difficult to evaluate because I think he's a guy who... His future would is going to be at outside corner. Uh, he plays exclusively slot for uh, Ohio State, slot box, whatever. He's not playing outside corner, but I think that's would be where his best position is. So I'm kind of just like hesitant on putting a guy uh, that highly. Now he's. Good in the slot. I don't, but again, I don't think that's his best position. So I, I was just outside corner is just a different animal. You know, being able to stick with guys one on one is a different animal from playing that underneath zone or staying with a guy in the slot. So I, I like the traits. I like what I've seen from him so far this year. But yeah, it's just he might he might be coming back to raise his draft stock with uh, you know Arnett and Akuda probably gone. Do you like
0: Hamler? Give me your take on Hamler.
1: Yeah, Hamler made our top hundred too. Great speed from the slot. Uh, I think once the ball is in his hands, he is very dynamic. Uh, he has had serious drop issues this year. What is it? Something like already has 10 drops on the season. That's a problem. Going to need to see that fixed. Uh Only a redshirt sophomore. So no. And at 5'9", 173, I'm, I'm not sure he does declare. You don't see a lot of undersized guys. Actually, 11 drops this year on 57 catchable. It's wow. Rough. That's it's, it's a wild number. Price Hopkins level. Yeah. So we'll see about him if he does declare. But... That's a good matchup for both of them because Wade's a little more physical. I'm not sure he has the straight line speed to keep up with Hamler. So if we get some, you know, slot it that'll be... Okay. Maybe Hamler takes advantage of him. Let's go to the next
0: matchup here. Robert Windsor versus Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis an underclassman.
1: Yes, a guy we haven't actually talked a lot about. So he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, and I wasn't really on the radar because not a lot of redshirt sophomore interior off the linemen ever declare. Like, that's yep. just, just rare to see that happen. But I think he could. Uh, he legitimately, to me, is... Impressed me more than Michael Jordan last year, more than uh, Elfline a few years back, more than even Billy Price, kind of coming out of Ohio State. So he's the best interior offensive lineman I've seen in Ohio State and time as a retro sophomore here. So he could declare uh, he just has better feet than those guys. I think he's just more agile. Uh, loses better better balance than any of those guys coming out. And Robert Windsor, power player. We've talked about him. One of the better interior bull rushers in the country. So that'll be a nice matchup there. Uh, David's the right guard, uh, number 52 to watch there.
0: There you go. All right, let's go to another game on the What's What's on Tap segment. UCLA, UCLA at USC, Darnay Holmes. Yes. Darnay Holmes is a guy that we were high on going into this year. I still think he—he's been struggling. He has not played well this
1: year, or to the well, start at least. He started off struggling. He has been better last four weeks. Only forty-one yards, four sixteen targets. Wow. He's kind of turned the season around. That ankle injury that started off. <laughs> Maybe it linger. Maybe it was lingering. You know that Aesop wins the game. You could probably throw that, burn that, burn that tape. Dude, that's a bad tape. Burn that tape (laughs) for That was bad tape. But the last four weeks, like I said, he's looked like a different player. And the the skills are still, the talent's still there. You see a, you just see some guys move, and you're like, okay, that that guy's going to be an NFL player. But is he going to really figure it out and get himself into that, you know, first round conversation, which is what we thought he could have been heading into this season? Here's his opportunity. Yes. Here Here's this is his opportunity.
0: opportunity. Going against USC, I'm on Ross Saint Brown,
1: Pittman, Vons. There's going to be plenty of opportunity. It's it gets gonna... the gamut of I'm Ross Saint Brown, great route runner, quick shifty Pittman. Much bigger, much more physical. Darnay versus Pittman seems like one, yeah. he's got to
0: prove himself. Yeah. I think this is a great game to watch. You said there may be some cupcakes here, but UCLA at USC, especially with Darnay Holmes turning the corner. I haven't even mm-hmm. been, you know been diving in ever since that Esop Winston Jr. game. I wrote him off as returning to school, really, just mm-hmm. kind of you're, you're going, yeah. or, transferring. or transfer transfer. There's yeah. some there's some rumors that he might transfer, uh, but I think I might have to go back and watch the tape on Darnay a little bit more. Um, did well against Colorado. I, I
1: like that tape against LaVisca.
0: A lot of tape I have been watching though is this UC, USC receiving core: Michael Pittman, Amon Ross, St. Brown. Both both of those guys are very outstanding. And Tyler Vaughn's too sometimes gets forgotten, but he also has shown shown some flashes. I think this is a great one to watch. And um UCLA at USC, that's a rivalry. I mean that's something that, you, know, you know, let's turn it on yeah. here. Like Chip Kelly and all that. I think that, that's there's something to get excited for there. Let's go TCU at Oklahoma. We got CD Lamb versus Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney, I believe got accepted or accepted an invite to the Reese's Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. He'll be there. He's the guy that graded really well last year. Not off to the same start this year, but still showing off a lot of
1: good things. Uh, and CD Lamb, number 2 wide receiver on your board right. This one, so this one has two great wide receiver cornerback matchups, but this one hopefully CD plays. Missed last week against Baylor. They haven't said why. You know, he's injured. They haven't said what the injury is, uh, but hopefully he's back this week. They said his status is still up in the air, but this is a matchup where I, I don't think CD's faced a prospect uh, like Gladney so far this year. Gladney got 4 3 speed, legit uh, ball skills down the football field, can hang with Lamb on a straight go. I don't think Lamb's really seen a lot of guys this year that have that athletic profile that he's going to see from Gladney. So that matchup will be huge. Will he still be able to win down the football field? I, you know, probably. See the, see Lamb. But <laughs> I, I, do, I do want to see them go head-to-head, and hopefully he's fully healthy in that one.
0: In that same game, you also have Parnell Motley. Yes. the cornerback for Oklahoma, who is draft eligible this year. Has earned just a 69.8 coverage grade so far, but he'll be going against good competition to Jalen Rieger, who has stepped it, stepped it up of re, of late. I think he's playing a lot better. I still think he returns to school, but he's yeah. playing a lot
1: better right now down the stretch. Yeah, so uh, Motley, a senior, uh, had jumped on the scene back in 2017. He had an 81.2 coverage grade in that one, 11 pass breakups. Hasn't been quite the same since, but he's very good. At the line of scrimmage, which that's why I think this is a great matchup to watch for Rager, because Motley, one of the best press coverage corners like at the line of scrimmage in terms of getting his jam in there, affecting the route. And he's played press coverage on 211 of 289 coverage snaps this year, every snap. that's basically like he is playing press coverage uh, on you and he is apparently going to be tracking Rager in this game. So you're going to see him every single play. So this will be great from an evaluation standpoint. You get to see a guy who's very good in press coverage against a speedy wide receiver who plays pretty much outside and needs to prove himself at the, at the line of scrimmage. So, Rager, this is your chance. Put, out, put on a show here against uh, the against cornerback who I think Motley will be drafted. Probably more of a day three type prospect at this point. I just don't think he has speed, which... That could that could come back to haunt him against yep. a guy like Rager who's gonna run the four threes.
0: Very good. Let's uh that's gonna tie a nice bow on the um excuse me, what's it on what's tap that? segment, the prospect preview segment? We're gonna move forward now to the rookie segment, draft specials, looking at rookies to watch, specifically matchups to watch. Let's we'll start and this is an interesting one. Jamel Dean of the Bay Buccaneers going against up. the Atlanta Falcons. Jamel Dean earned very high coverage grades in back-to-back games. In the two in the first two games of, you know, his NFL career where he's played significant snaps. The game after he doesn't play a single
1: Oh well, wait, no. He no he, 2 weeks ago against mm-hmm. the Hawks, Yep, Terrible coverage grade. Oh yeah, he true, got true, toast, true. toasted by DK Metcalf and then he has the game of his life mm-hmm. the next week against gosh, I'm forgetting the Panthers was it? And yeah. he just absolutely, you know, picked multiple pass breakups. And then this past week uh against, against the Saints against the Saints, he uh <laughs> Zero defensive d- didn't even play. They said they wanted to play more zone. Yes. Which would be great if you had corners that were good in zone that you were gonna play over him and didn't get torched, you know, for thirty-four points. Mm-hmm. That
0: was a head-scratcher. I don't know how much zone they're trying to play against the Falcons, but there's a simple thing here. you got to put your best players on the field, especially at a position where you don't really have a ton of talent yeah. at the cornerback position. It was So, again, Seattle, a 35.8 coverage grade. But I, I, what I'll say about that, he got roasted by D.K. Metcalf a handful of times. Still, awesome. still had three pass breakups. Yeah. Then he has a 95.6 coverage grade against the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, One Arizona. interception, two pass breakups. They go on to take on the Saints in Week 11. Tampa Bay sits him on the bench. Uh, they wanted to play more zone, and uh, he played zone on the on the sideline. Uh, that was very held interesting.
1: held it down, dude. <laughs> held they, it down,
0: crushed it. Dude. But
1: it's no, like zero it, targets, it, zero, it, zero it, pass. They pass. really have not had any cornerback have a one good game all year. And the second they do, he gets benched. Very interesting. But so he'll play hopefully. Yeah, against hopefully the Falcons. He'll play against the
0: Falcons who we'll see some opportunity there. I mean, if they had him track DK Metcalf, probably gonna have him track. Julio Jones, right? right. I mean, not unless to... they're playing zone, you never know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you think they were going to have him track Michael Thomas, instead they just he just toasted That's him true. in, in mm-hmm. route to a W. So that it's a uh, head scratching decision making over there. It's hard to kind of really understand what, what what they're going to do but if jim aldean does play against the atlanta falcons i think he's well worth a watch in man or zone coverage mm-hmm. let's go to a rookie on rookie matchup yes a little two for one here ed oliver of the buffalo bills the defensive interior former first round pick of houston going against rookie guard dalton reisner of the denver broncos an older prospect an older rookie but who's played very well for denver so far this year i think this is a great opportunity for these two guys to kind of show off their skill set
1: yeah, so we highlighted Oliver last week, said he was going up against a favorable matchup in that Miami offensive line. He did all right. Four pressures, uh, 76.0 overall grade on defense. That's what, you know, you got to beat the bad guys first. That's, that's doing pretty well in that one. So he we did well, but this is a little different animal. Dalton Reisner's playing a lot, lot better than those interior guys from Miami. He has a 74.3 pass blocking grade for the season, one of the better Uh, pass blocking grades at the guard position. Hasn't allowed a sack. Only 11 pressures all season long. Holding his own, pretty as advertised. We thought he was NFL ready coming out of K State. Has been NFL ready. So this one, I say advantage Reisner, but we'll see. Left guard for the Denver Broncos. I'll
0: say this too. George and Eric are two data scientists here at PFF.
1: Really high on Reisner. Really did like how he graded on a play by play standpoint. I I think that's going to be Throckmorton this year. A guy we kind of barely touched on the interior offensive line rings, but he's been High pass protecting grade for three years now for Oregon. I think they're similar prospects in terms of they might not look, they might not physically or the uh, eye test. It might not look. Uh, appealing Might not be the most uh, Visually appealing That's the word I'm looking for They might be the most Visually appealing players But to get the job done Consistently I think that's Rockmore And I think that was Reisner coming out And that's why He fell to the second round
0: Going to this next matchup here Definitely a rookie to watch Greg Speedbump Little Going against Marcus Davenport Which would be interesting Because Greg Little This past week Why he got the nickname Speedbump in there Adrian Claiborne put yeah. the dude on skates And then some Some of the worst 14 pressure Some of the you know 14 total pressures We talked about it on Tuesday On the Tuesday podcast But when you review that film, too. How bad he lost. The pass sets were bad. The footwork was yeah. bad. Everything was... It was ugly. It was raw. It was ugly. And Adrian Claiborne was just feasting on him. And now you're going to get to Marcus Davenport, who I think is a similar player. That's why. Um, how he attacks uh, Greg Little. That's and,
1: why I want to watch this, because Davenport, uh, Little just had no anchor. Like, it was... And he was setting deep and like, setting right in his quarterback's lap. So Davenport, he wants to bull rush you every time. And he will, if you're going to let him. Uh, just hopefully Greg Little doesn't let him, because this could be double digits again. Dude, and if <laughs> it's not Especially Martin against Davenport, Seattle. It's Cameron Jordan. <laughs> Excuse me. Especially against New Orleans, where they're not going to be, like, they're probably going to be playing down again. You know, the Panthers are probably going to not have a lead, probably going to have to be thrown 50 times again. That could get ugly again.
0: Dude, absolutely. I mean, dude, so. this is going to be a huge problem because, like I said, it's either Marcus Davenport, which I'll probably he'll probably see the most of, mm-hmm. but if the Saints try and get nasty and throw Cameron Jordan his way, things are go- not going to look good. And you already had Darrell Williams getting called fat by Tack McKinley. The, uh, the offensive line is in shambles right now. Morale is low. And Greg yeah. Little's going into the room, and people are really asking him, we're, we're thinking about moving you to center. Like I mean, there's just it's, it's a bad look right now for Carolina. And, and Kyle Allen... I'll say this. He came out of the gate strong. QB wins team were great, but he is grading very poorly right now. He's one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks. No, he is the lowest-graded quarterback um, from a clean pocket this year. He's also struggling significantly. um, I never bought. Throws of 10-plus yards.
1: Yeah, I was... You never so I always am hesitant to crown a quarterback until they actually have to go win a game. Until they actually have to throw fifty times and it's on their back to win a game. You can a lot of guys can succeed when you're protected, when you've run the when you're running the ball well, uh and when you can check down to backs and they give it to you. But when you have to go win it yourself, which is what he's you know tried to have to do against the Packers uh last week uh as well, against the Falcons, when you have to go do that, that's when I that's when I actually will buy in if you can go out and do that. Kyle Allen has not unfortunately. Has fallen flat that's unfortunately, the that's
0: the story of Gardner Minshew's benching because yeah. he had to go out there and beat that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the Texans in the fourth quarter. He throws, you know, two, it two picks and, and fumble. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was an absolute falling apart. Um, but Gardner Minshew, you know, I love the kid. I think I think he could rally back. But again, it's a good. I think it's a good point you make. You have to judge a quarterback on how he can take over and win games late. And mm-hmm. Kyle Allen struggling to do that. You saw all four of those interceptions he had this past week were awful, poor decisions. <laughs> Inaccurate. Yeah. It wasn't like a batted pass or the O.J. Howard uh, behind-the-back flip-up that James Winston fell victim to. They, they, these were bad passes, bad decisions, inaccurate throws. Uh, poor, Kyle Allen, poor Kyle Allen and poor speed bump Greg Little. Um, that's going to do it for the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. it has been fantastic. Thank you, Mike, and uh, thank you thank to you. all of our listeners thank and you. our live watchers on YouTube. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. But until Tuesday, make sure you're uh, liking us on all those things. So This has been Austin Gale, Mike Grenner on 2 for 1 Drafts.